Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Last week, last week we, we looked at the, toward the end of this chapter, and uh, tonight we're going to bounce back all the way at the beginning. I'm going to read the first two verses, but we're going to focus only on verse number 2. Romans chapter number 12. Remember last week I spoke about a, a winning attitude and the dealing with difficult people and talked about the fact that most of the time the most difficult people we have to deal with, well, it's us, ourselves. And there's not a person on earth that, uh, that isn't in need of a change of some kind. Whenever we trust the Lord as our Savior, the Lord changes us. And throughout our lifetime, having a new nature, we have a desire to please God, but we sometimes fail to do that. And so there is a continual need for change in our life. I'm so glad that failure does not destroy our relationship with God but it sure can hinder our fellowship with the Lord. So uh, tonight when we look at this, I want to speak to you about the call for change. The call for change. Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In this call for change, we see a command, we see counsel, and we see also a challenge. Anytime we go to talking about making changes in our life, automatically we recognize that that is going to be a challenge. And so here we are, having just entered a new year, and uh, most people will be thinking about things that, that, you know, they want to see changed in their life. And thus, you hear a lot of folks talking about making resolutions. But how is it with you? Maybe you've made some resolutions, some things that you just resolved in your heart by the grace of God, I, I want this to change. If you could wave a magic wand and change something about your life, what would it be? And if we're honest, we'd have to say that for most people, it, you know, it would be something like, well, I, I'm going to go on a diet. I, I want to change my weight or I want to change my, my shape. I'm going to start working out or uh, you know, it might be somebody wants to change their nose and have surgery. I, I, I don't know. But something physical that you don't like about yourself that you'd like to see change. But the most important changes are those that are on the inside rather than the outside. So the question is, what would you like to see change? Now, I didn't say, what would you like to see changed in, uh, in my life? I didn't say, what would you like to see changed in your wife's life or your husband's life or somebody else? But what, 
what would you like to see changed in your life? Would it be, let's just think for a moment, would, would it be your discontentment? Now, for some of you, that's no problem at all. You're able to say with the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content, you know, in whatever state I'm in. It doesn't make any difference what the circumstances are. I'm content. But not everybody can say that. Can you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to get the wheels to turn and get you to think. Would would you or do you see the need to change the matter when it comes to discontentment in your life? You're just not content. And, And surely we recognize if we're not, then that needs to change, right? With somebody else, they would say, well, discontentment isn't my problem. It's depression. And, and for some people, that is, a, that is a lifelong struggle they go through, just fighting depression. Uh, there are books written about it and seminars that have to do with it, and a lot of people that just pursue every avenue of trying to find something that will help them to conquer their depression. Uh, but with others, it wouldn't be discontentment. It wouldn't be depression. It might be their quick temper. <laughs> well, uh, no, nobody here with that problem. <laughs> now, I know we'd all like to answer for somebody else. Oh, yeah, you know, he or she, they, 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 they need help there. They need to change that. As I've often said before, boy, I look back and think about being a young Christian. I mean, that was, I guess, on the, on the top of my my list. I I'd always wanted a '57 Chevy and couldn't, never could for some reason. It never worked out. I could get a '57 Chevy, but I finally I got a '56 Chevy. Boy, two door, hard top, man. I mean, that was that was pretty, but. And then, stupid me, I got mad and threw a fit of anger and kicked the windshield out on it. So, and I, now I'm not going to tell all of my secrets. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling. And don't talk to Bev, please, please, no, not about that subject anyway. Uh, but um, back before I got saved and shortly after I got saved, that, that was a a real problem. And a lot of folks have that problem, but they don't want to admit it. They're just quick-tempered. It might be that your problem's not any of those things. It might be that the thing that needs to change about you is your your critical attitude. Just, you know, you, you just criticize everybody. There's something wrong with everything. It might be you don't have a problem with that. You know, there's some folks I know, like Bev, that she's, some way or another, she always looking for the good in people while i'm talking about you know what this is wrong and that's wrong and but but there's always some some good that we could be focused on but not everybody has that that ability they should but they don't but with other people maybe it's an unruly tongue just well i i don't even need to explain that boy we just we we speak before we think, you know, and so many times we'll say something and later on we'll think, well, I, I wish I, you know, I wish I hadn't said that. For somebody else, is, 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 have, we, have we mentioned anything that applies to anyone yet? Yeah. Well, I won't stop then. I'll keep going. Uh, 
uh, it might be jealousy of others. There are some people, you know, you tell them, well, I got a new this or a new that, and you can just see that green-eyed monster popping out all over them. You can tell, you know, they might say, well, that's nice or something like that, but you, you can tell they are so jealous that uh, instead of rejoicing with you, they're jealous of you, and, and that can be a real problem for a lot of people. Uh, for some, it might be resentment of others. For what? And look, you might feel justified in that. It might be they don't measure up to the standard that God has given or the standard that you think is right. It might be they've been unjust in dealing with you some way. They've been unfair. But you have that lingering resentment that just hangs on sometimes year after year after year. And if you be honest, there's probably somebody here that if you'll stop and think back 10 years ago and you can think of something that you still to this day resent about somebody, some wrong that, they, that they've done in your life. For others, it might not be that. It might be, uh, it might be some harmful habit. I won't try to make a list. I'll just say some harmful habits. We've all got habits of different kinds, and, uh, you know, a lot of them are good habits. Some are bad habits, but it, it might be a harmful habit, something that's a detriment to your testimony or a detriment to your health, and so it's a to you and it's something that maybe that you have resolved I'm going to change this in my life it might be some sinful lust something that just it plagues you day and night it seems to be always with you that sinful lust you know that it's wrong it shouldn't be there but it's in your heart and it it just bothers you day and night for others it might be a a guilty conscience a guilty conscience conscience well that's a real troublemaker you know it whenever paul was talking to timothy and teaching him about the ministry and he emphasized strongly that one of the very most important things that he could have was to have a pure conscience and that's important for all of us now i'll just i'll just Leave it blank after that. And you fill in the blank, whatever it is. But what I'm trying to say is any one of these things that I've mentioned or things that you can think of that I haven't mentioned can have terrible, terrible consequences in our life. And, and we all, if we're honest, all recognize the fact that this needs to change. And look, since we're all imperfect, we all should see the need for some change in our life. Am I, is that right? I, I mean, I don't know anybody here that's perfect, so if you're not perfect, uh, then we ought to be able to say, well, this needs to change. But the problem is far too often we're satisfied with things as they are when things are not as they should be. But we're content with it, you know. We know, well, you know, this, this could be better. This should be better. And, you know, with God's help, by His grace, someday it'll get better. But, you know, for right now, I'm just, I'm just, I guess I just got to live with it. And so we're content with it, but God isn't. And mark it down. The person 
who is in the greatest need of change is the person who does not see the need for change. If you're here tonight and you say, well, preacher, I know you mean well, but I, I think this message is just a waste of time for me because I really can't think of, of anything that really needs to change in my life. And, and to think about somebody being too proud to admit that they have a problem, how do you help people like that? So I hope tonight when we think about this for a few minutes, I hope that, that God will help you, that he help me and all of us consider this call to change. And in doing so, I want you to think about three things. And the first thing is the need for change. And so before I go on, I want to call your attention to one of the biggest problems related to the subject, and that is what? Well, we're more concerned about others changing than we are about changes in our life. That, that's true of, of maybe most of us, I don't know, but it's certainly true of a lot of us. Because, you know, if someone mentioned a name to you, might be a family member, it might not, but they just mentioned their name to you and uh, and ask you, you know, well, I know so-and-so has a lot of good traits, but uh, can you think of anything about them that really needs to change? We could all make a list in a heartbeat, couldn't we? Because we see the need for change in other people, but the difficult thing is seeing the need for change in our own life. You know, we see their faults, but we're blind to our own. And we complain about their shortcomings, but, but somewhere or another we excuse ours. We blame our failures on, on their faults, in other words. Well, yeah, I know, you know, I know I'm not perfect. I know this needs to change. But after all, you know, if you had to, if you had to live with so-and-so like I do, well, you would understand why I do what I do. But because somebody else fails never justifies our failure. But we often try to excuse ourselves by pointing out whatever their particular fault is. So um, let's try to address our need of change instead of somebody else. And, and hopefully that, that all of us will leave here tonight genuinely concerned about the need for change in our life. It's needed due to, let me give you just three things that we could mention a lot of things, but there are three things why it's needed. Number one, the prohibition of God. Notice what he says here in our text. Be not conformed to this world. Literally, that means do not let the world crowd you or, or force you into its mold. Don't be molded by the fashions of this world. And, and that word world there means age. It's talking about this evil, wicked age that we live in. And when the Bible talks about Satan being the god of this world, well, it's talking about him being the god of this, this wicked system that we live in today. And so the Bible tells us that we're to be not conformed to this world. Uh, our attitude, our actions are not to be patterned after the world. Now, I know that when we talk about fashion and what have you, we could apply it to, 
to clothes, for example. And, you know, I, everybody wants to be fashionable. Whenever I was a teenager, you did not dare wear anything but Levi's. It had to be Levi's. Uh, I mean, if, if you wore something else, I mean, yeah, the kids would laugh at you and so forth. But to be a part of the ingrat, you had to wear Levi's. And uh, at that particular time, unlike whenever you, we were in grade school, you didn't roll them up like this. That, you want to get laughed out of high school, do that. If you had to roll them up, it's better if you didn't. If you rolled them up, you tucked them in under like that. That was just, you know, that was fashionable. Yeah, and look, we we laugh at these kids nowadays. You know, you they they, they want to buy something. It's got to be this brand, Old Navy, this or uh, or what, what's <laughs> some, some some Hollister, this or that. Yeah, they they've got to have that. Well. You know, it's a proven fact that a lot of times, you know, the store brand stuff, especially in shoes, those old Spalding shoes out last Nike's any day, but and you can get them for ten or twelve dollars or used to at Walmart. But what kid wants to wear those? They don't want those. They want those Michael Jordans and what have you. We laugh at those kids about stuff like that, and we're but we're not talking about. We're not talking about that kind of fashion. We're talking about our mannerisms. We're talking about our attitude and our actions being like the world, and God prohibits that. He's telling us, don't let that happen. So we see the prohibition of God, but notice the purpose of God. He says, instead of that, He says, but be ye transformed. So instead of being conformed, we're to be transformed. And what is it that he wants us to be transformed into? Well, Romans 8.29 answers that, that God has predestinated us to be what? Conformed to the image of God's dear Son. That, that's the goal. He is our model. That's what he's working toward. This word transformed is exactly the same word that's translated transfigured when it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ and being transfigured. Same word. It's also the same word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis means an outward change that issues from within. When you think about, for example, you know, the caterpillar and uh, becoming a butterfly. That's the way that it works. There's this change going on, and eventually that caterpillar becomes a beautiful Butterfly, But it's not something that happens from without. It's something that happens from within. So we see God prohibiting us from being conformed to the world. We see the purpose is for us to be transformed into the image of His Son. But notice the product of it. We're still talking about the need for change. This is why we need change. Here's the product. This is what it produces. This is what it creates in our life. That ye may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Notice that word prove. It means appreciate or learn from experience. That ye may appreciate, that you can learn from experience. Notice what is that, notice, good. God's will is good. 
It's never bad. It's always good. Now, it might be contrary to what we want to do. It might be contrary to what the popular thing to do is. So it might be difficult, in fact, but it's always good, and we need to learn that. So he says it's good, and it's not just good, but it is acceptable. It's always acceptable to do the will of God, notice, and it is perfect. That's why I oftentimes, and I first read this 50 years ago, old George Truett that pastored... uh, uh, pastored back before Dr. Criswell came there to to First Baptist Church in in Fort Worth or in in Dallas rather, and uh, he preached a message on the will of God, and he said God's will is always right. It's always right. It's not only right; it's always best, and it's not only best; it's always safest. God's will is right, it's best, it's safest. And he's telling us here that as this change takes place in our life, that we are able to learn from experience and appreciate God's will, that it is something that is good, that it's something that is acceptable and, 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 and perfect. And a lot of times it almost seems like whenever God lays on our heart or commands us from his word to do a certain thing, it, it sometimes just seems like this wouldn't be the best thing for us. Every preacher has to at some point wrestle with that when they surrender to preach. And, and like I, I've often told you before when God called me to preach for for some reason, as I was surrendering myself to the Lord, I told him, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere, do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to go and to preach, even if you send me to California. I don't know why I said California, except I hated California, didn't want to go there. And that was a long ways off. And that was just, You know, I could have said China or Russia. It wouldn't have made any difference. Really, Kenneth knows what I mean. We were talking a while ago about God moving people from place to place. And sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it doesn't even seem to make sense. Sometimes sometimes it just seems like it wouldn't be the best thing for us or for our family. Look, as we experience this transformation that comes from within to without, as it takes place and we become more like Christ, all of a sudden we learn from experience that God's will is always best. I ne- I ne- look, I never dreamed of coming to Texas, of living in Texas. On time, I'd, you know, I'd preached everywhere from Lubbock to over here, preached several meetings for Crystal's grandpa, Nick McAlenis, many years ago and in different places in Texas, I preached about every year in the Dallas area and what have you. And I didn't mind flying down here and preaching a week and flying back home. I didn't mind that. But boy, all of a sudden, when some church in Texas calls me to to come down there, that's a whole different ball game. And uh, I had a bit of difficulty with it for a little while. But I've learned, I've learned, and it didn't take long. God's will is good, it's acceptable, it's right, it's perfect. There's nowhere else on this earth I want to be but Texas. And not just Texas, I want to be in humble Texas. I want to be right here where I'm at because I know this is where God puts me. That's something that people will never learn, never appreciate, never enjoy as long as they are not experiencing this 
transformation in their life to some degree. In other words, we've got to be growing. By the way, every living thing, every healthy living thing is growing. And all of us ought to be growing, and that's what change is all about. So we see the need for change, but we also need to think about the nature of change. And there's four things I want to mention about the nature of change. Number one, it's not quick and easy. I'll just combine those two. It's not quick and easy. Becoming what God wants us to be is a lifelong process. Now, we get in a hurry for other people to change sometimes, but, you know, we uh, we kind of take our time when it comes to self. But the the fact is... Christ is our model, and as long as we're in this world, there's going to be room for improvement. You can grow spiritually until you excel above everybody else in this congregation. And you're still not everything that you could be or should be. Because there's nobody in this congregation that is a perfect example Christ is the perfect example, and so we know that this is not going to be something that's going to be quick, nor is it something that's going to be easy. Let me explain why it's not easy. Hebrews 12.1 says, Laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Do you notice he's talking about a besetting sin? Lay aside every weight. Now, that is something that would be a hindrance to your Christian life. It's not something necessarily that is sinful. It's something that in and of itself, it's good, it's fine, nothing wrong with it, but it would be a hindrance for you. It's going to hold you back. It's going to slow you down. He says, lay aside that weight and the sin... The sin, notice he's being specific here, the sin that which doth so easily beset us. I believe every person has some besetting sin that is more difficult for them to deal with than others. Everybody does. There are some things, for example, that would be no temptation to you whatsoever that would be a great temptation for someone else. There are some sins that, you know, some folks that uh, they have trouble resisting that for other people. It wouldn't be a problem at all. And naturally, I could name a lot of different things, but I, I don't think I need to. I think we all realize that for all of us, it might be one of those sins that I mentioned earlier on that list of the things that need to change. It could be that, right? But we can all think of something that this particular sin is a whole lot more difficult for me to deal with than others. Even after I was saved, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how difficult it was for me to drive down Sunshine. That's a street in Springfield, Missouri. And that's because of the bar where I hung out and once in a while tended bar there, but that was the... That was my hangout there. And, and, and I was scared to death that when I drove by there that I might stop. And in all of that time, by the grace of God, I stopped only one time. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I, 
I didn't stop to drink. I stopped to go in there to tell the proprietor of that place, a guy that I got to know real well, that I had been saved. I had become a Christian, and I would never be back again, and I never did go back again. But a lot of folks drove up and down that street. That wasn't a problem for them. I mean, you could hand them a beer. That wouldn't be no temptation. They couldn't stand the taste of that stuff. But they had a problem in some other area of their life. So that's why I'm saying change isn't always easy because there are a lot of those sins that, that, that we just cling to or they cling to us or whatever. But it's a besetting sin. The next thing about the nature of change is not only, not only is it not quick, it's not easy, but change always issues from within. It comes from, from the inside out, just like the caterpillar that I mentioned a while ago. And it's a gradual change. It takes place over time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it's something that happens over a period of time. And that being the case, what we take in is going to determine what comes out. You know, the, the computer people, they, they know that's true, and that's why they talk about garbage in, garbage out. And uh, that's exactly what they mean. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And the same thing is true in our life, what we take in. Remember, the Lord himself said it's, it's that which issues from within that defiles a person. So any change that's going to take place in your life has got to be something that happens within you. But the most important thing, perhaps, about the nature of change is the fact that it is impossible without God's help. It's impossible. Amen. Absolutely. You know, we, so many times we talk about how difficult the Christian life is, and, and there's no bones about it. The Christian life is extremely difficult but God called us to live a life that is humanly impossible. He has called us to live a life that requires a miracle in our life. Keep that in mind. It's the same for all of us. For us to succeed is going to require a miracle. And all of the, all of the self-help books in the world is not going to be the answer for our problem. What man writes, and, and I realize there are those that have written some, some great things offering good advice, whether it has to do with time management or it can do with dealing with our emotions, and, and I've read a lot of books on those subjects and things of that nature, and they've got some very helpful pointers, but look, you can sit and read a book with all the helpful information in the world but if something doesn't change within, nothing's going to change without. It's what I'm saying. The book might, might even be true. The book might even offer you all of this good advice. But this is the only book that is a living book. A book that has literally the power to transform us. And so understand the nature of, of, of this of this need, the need for change is something that's going to require God's help. And that brings me to the last thing I want to mention. 
And that's the necessity for change. The nece- I'm not talking about the need for change. We've already talked about that. We all need it. But I'm talking about what is necessary, the necessity for change to take place. I can't think of a better verse than 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. I, one of my favorite chapters is chapter number 4, but you can't study chapter 4 unless you study verse 18 of chapter 3. And it says, But we all, with open face, that is, unlike Moses, we have an unveiled face, nothing in between, nothing blocking our view, with an open face, beholding, not just taking a glance now and then, but beholding, having our focus upon, notice, beholding as in a glass, which we would call a mirror today, And as we do, notice what we're beholding. He says, the glory of the Lord, as we're beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, what happens? We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, if you've heard me preach very much, you know that I refer to this verse of Scripture a lot. Just like I refer to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 and verse 3, there's a reason for that because of their great importance, because it's what we need to survive and to thrive spiritually. And when you look at this, one thing jumps out, becomes perfectly clear, is the fact that the Holy Spirit is the agent of change. He's the one that does the change. You notice that we are changed from glory unto glory. In other words, there's a progression of Christ's likeness. We become more and more and more like Him. And like I've said before, that we ought to keep growing from glory to glory to glory to glory until we finally get to glory. And so that's the way it ought to be for all of us. We ought to never stop growing spiritually. But notice, it's even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So our transformation comes from, now listen carefully, our transformation comes from being changed, not changing. Amen. So when I, you know, and it's easy, for, it's easy for us to fall into that habit of saying, well, since I've been saved, I've changed this and I've changed that. Well, you know, if that's all that happened, if that's all that happened, Sooner or later, you'll probably change back, revert back to what it, what you were doing before. You know, it's one thing. It's one thing for us to make changes. We can all do that, make changes. We kind of reform ourselves. But that's not the change that's going to matter. And whenever he tells us there in Romans eight twenty nine that that God predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Christ, of His Son, we know that the finality of that is going to be what we become later on in heaven. 1 John 3, 2 says that, that, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see Him, we shall be like Him. Wow, can you imagine that? 
to think that one day, someday, uh, with all of my faults and all of my imperfections, that someday I'm, go- I'm going to be just like Jesus. And that, that's true of you if you're saved. That's true of you. But until then, until then, God wants us to be growing more and more and more in His, in His likeness. The kids used, the little kids used to sing that song, God's Still Working on Me. He's working on all of us. Uh, on the tombstone of Ruth Graham, uh, Ruth Graham, are these words. Here's, here's what it says. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. We, look, as long as we're in this world, we're never going to be able to say that until the day that we die. And, and then we'll be taken into the presence of the Lord and changed into the likeness of the Lord. And we too can say, end of construction. It's all over now. And I, I just suspect maybe that for at least a fleeting moment, we'll all feel like saying to the world we left behind, thank you for your patience. Thank you for putting up with me and all of my imperfections all of this time. Aren't you glad that God is at work in your life? But, but the fact of the matter is it takes effort on our part. I, I just said it's going to require a miracle that we cannot make these changes in our life without God's help because it's God as we go back to verse 1. Notice what he said. Present your bodies, notice, as a living sacrifice. As we submit ourselves, yield ourselves, Romans chapter 6. As we yield ourselves unto him, the Holy Spirit, does a work in our life that progressively changes us more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. And as long as we're here, we're going to have that besetting sin. As long as we're here, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick. But growth can still be possible. And that's what we ought to be striving for. In Keswick, England, many years ago and I could name several preachers and I've I've read I can't tell you how many books by different preachers associated with that I'm talking about great men but they got off on a tangent and and the whole idea and every year they had this convention the Keswick convention and if I could sum up everything about it it's it would be this their philosophy is let go and let God just let go and let God doesn't make any difference what you do or try to do. It's just you've got to let go and let God. The only problem with that is it's just not true. Amen. It's true that God alone can make the changes that need to be made, but it requires cooperation or effort on our part. That's why when the Bible talks about the old man and the new man, it talks about us. We put off the old man and we, not God, we put on the new man that is after holiness. So it requires effort on our part. 
But only God can bring about the desired effect, and he never fails. Now, in closing, I just want to say a brief word to those that have never been saved, because there are many poor, troubled souls that, that are they're trapped in their sin. They're enslaved by Satan, and they've spent their lifetime trying to break free and trying to change. And you've heard me say over and over again, before I was even saved, I, I did. I'm honest. I wanted to quit drinking. I really did. I, I, I wanted to be different. I tried, but I couldn't. I, could, I just kept failing over and over again. And folks, the majority of the people in this world their sin might be different, but the majority of the people in this world, that those that are lost, that's exactly where they're at. They are trapped and they are enslaved and they are miserable, but they are powerless to change. Every year they make resolutions that they hope they can keep, but they never do. They just keep failing. And I just want to say to you, it is impossible for you to make the changes that are needed for you to become the person God wants you to be. In fact, it is impossible for you to make the changes that would be necessary to be accepted by God because there's absolutely no change you could make. You say, well, I quit drinking and I quit this, I quit everything else. Now God ought to accept me. No, God doesn't accept you on that basis. You see, you're, you as an unsaved person, you're rotten at the core. Amen. You know, you're thinking about your sins, but the problem is your sin. Yeah. You're, not the sins, plural, the sin, that nature that is within you, the sinful nature that produces the the sins and until that's dealt with you'll never you'll never be able to conquer sin in your life and there's only one way to deal with that and that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ amen for you to have your sins washed away in his precious blood and for you to find your acceptance with God in the person of his son and to be wrapped in the robe of his righteousness. And when you become a child of God, then, then victory, change in your life becomes possible. And as we what? Present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, notice, which is your reasonable service. As we do that, that enables us to not be conformed to the world, but rather to be transformed to the one like the one who created the world, the one who died on the cross for our sins. It's so wonderful whenever we give the invitation and like Savannah came this morning and was saved back uh, can I say vacation Bible school wasn't it and and to think about you know that that ministry going on and there are those that that are saved during Awana and those saved you know during Sunday school and what have you children's church and we worship and thank God for all of those people it is the most wonderful thing in the world to see people because not only do you think about the fact that they've been forgiven and they're going to heaven when they die, 
but you begin to think about the amazing changes that it's going to make in their life, in their life. And that's why I've often said, you know, if there wasn't anything else to this, to this business of being a Christian, if there was no heaven and no hell, just suppose, no, no heaven, no hell, nothing like that at all. And you, whenever you die, you're just like a dog. You go back to the dust of the earth. It's all over. You don't know anything. Even if that was the case, the Christian life would still be the very best life anybody could live. I'm, I'm telling you, God knew what he was doing whenever he gave us his law and whenever he counseled us and gave us the precepts by which we are to live that regulate our conduct so as to bring about the very best possible effect in our life. So I just want to challenge you this new year. Here we go. We're off running the first month of the year. I don't know what it is with you. I'm not even going to try to guess. But what, if you could wave, going back where I started, wave that magic wand. That doesn't work, by the way. But if you could, what, what would you want God to change in your life? What? I hope next year, whenever we come about this time, maybe the Lord will lead me to talk about this again. Somebody say, Preacher, last year you, you spoke to us about this subject. And I went home and I knew exactly what I wanted to see change in my life. And I, I surrendered my heart to God in a way maybe that you'd never done before. I just turned everything all over to Him. And He, he brought about that change in my life. And if He'll do it for any one of us, He'll do it for all of us. And if He changes us, what happens? Well, if He changes us, it'll change our family, it'll change our church, and that has an effect on our entire community and everybody we come in contact with. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that You will do a work in our heart that we, we could never bring about. That Heavenly Father, that we... Uh, that you would enable us to accomplish what we desire in our heart, and that's to be more like your dear Son. Lord, forgive us of the many times and the many different ways that we fail you, and, and Lord, we just pray that, that tonight that we might so yield our heart to you, turn over control of our life to you, and through prayer and keeping our focus upon, upon you, looking upon you daily that we might be transformed into your likeness and that it might bring about a change that is that is so great that even others could see it that they would notice that that there's a transformation taking place and and we just thank you so much to know and have the assurance that someday Someday, whenever we've walked our last mile and taken our last breath and left this old sinful world, that you'll finish the work that you've been doing throughout our life, and we'll stand before you in the likeness of your own dear Son. Thank you for that 
that wonderful hope. And when we tend to get discouraged, maybe about our failures or even the failures of others, remind us that the best is yet to come. But help us to grow in that direction till we get there. In Jesus' name, amen.